0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36am. Good morning, you are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C and Chong jen San. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. We're giving you all the ammo that you need to have interesting conversations during this long Christmas weekend. Let's get started with the first story. Um, we're looking at the international section first. Uh, we start started off the week on what was a pretty thrilling note with the World Cup grand finale between Argentina and France with Argentina emerging victor in a penalty shootout.
0: Yeah, I mean, the run-up to the World Cup has been dominated by questions about corruption allegations, working conditions for migrant workers, LGBT rights, also alcohol policy and the logic <laughs> of hosting the world's biggest sporting event in a tiny desert kingdom. But, I mean, just looking at some of the people that really attended the World Cup, I've seen many compliments really coming up for people who were really pleasant and what a resounding success it was. Mm. I mean, there were comments that they never felt so safe, it was so secure and they felt so welcome. Um, At most football events, it's always worrying when one is going to be a victim of crime or drunken football, hooliganism or bad traffic and broken public transport. But I think the tournament also put Qatar on the global map. It did showcase that uh, he has fast-tracked the country's infrastructure and it's pushed part of a broader plan to diversify the economy out of oil, which has really fueled its wealth over the years as well.
2: And perhaps that's why, because it was run relatively well with not much drama, fans spent a lot more money in this World Cup. So according to Visa, fans spent 39% more in stadiums than they did at the 2018 World Cup in Russia, according to uh, data from Visa via the Visa-branded cards. They were used at the venue now. Who were the top spenders oh, at yes. the World Cup? Cup. and what
1: were they buying i wonder was it buying? food Clearly not beer not yep. exactly <laughs> it wasn't alcohol that's for sure that was for merchandise. sure merchandise
2: well could be you know those shirts very interesting shirts anyway the visitors were saudi arabia the united states the united arab emirates mexico and the united kingdom and the final between argentina and france on december 18th saw the largest spending of any game
1: very interesting. Very interesting. And I think I would say that the France and Argentina game was a really fitting cap to the World Cup. I think it's going to go down as one of the most exciting in history. I've heard some people say that, oh, this this could be the very best final ever. I'm going to leave it to the, to the men on um, our football show to kind of uh, hash that out. Um, but I do wonder whether this is what, the Qatar World Cup will be remembered for, more for the excitement on the pitch than all the controversies off pitch that you were mentioning, Jensen. I do want to
2: just add, though, that it's also one of the most profitable World Cups that has taken place because FIFA was expecting uh, about... $6.5 $6.5 billion revenue for this four-year cycle, it actually generated $7.5 billion. This was $1 billion more than it expected. No. So I think commercially it was viewed as a success this World Cup.
1: True, perhaps, yeah. I, I mean, the the, the the figures seem to evidence that. But I also wonder how much um, return of investment this will be for Qatar. Mm. You've got the, um, I guess, non-tangible elements like the whole what it does for Qatar space in the international stage, whether they're going to be more well-known from now on. Uh, but also we know that Qatar, what put in a 200 billion US dollar investment just to build infrastructure for the games? what's going to happen to all that infrastructure now? We know some of the stadiums have been dismantled and are supposed to be um, uh, d- donated to other places that need to use the football pitch. And I think their current stadium, the the crown of it, will be turned into a community center. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's that's the big question for any country that hosts these mega games, right? What's going to happen to uh, the infrastructure that they build after the games are over? The
2: white elephants.
1: The white elephants, indeed. Uh, but no doubt uh, a World Cup to remember. Uh, but turning our attention to other key events that took place this year, there's really no doubt that the war in Ukraine is going to dominate our memories of 2022. The outbreak of the war in February was was pretty unexpected or unanticipated, even though we had been talking about the buildup of Russian troops uh, in Eastern European in borders for quite some time before that. Um, We're talking about uh, Ukraine this week because uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky took his first overseas trip since the outbreak of the war. He was just in Washington this week uh, making appeals to Congress uh, for the U.S. to uh, continue giving assistance to Ukraine. And I think that appeal has largely paid off.
0: Yeah, and when he met uh, President Biden in Washington DC on Wednesday night, he was really treated like a a celebrity. It was a loud round of applause and several standing ovations. And I think quoting some of the some of the uh, sentences or some some of the quotes that he actually mentioned, he said, "The battle is not only for life." freedom and security for the Ukrainians or any other nation which Russia attempts to conquer. He said the struggle will define what our children and grandchildren will lift. He also mentioned how um, potentially Ukrainians will be spending Christmas. He said we'll be celebrating Christmas even if there's no electricity. The light of our faith in ourselves will not be put out, he said in a rousing speech to a joint meeting of Congress. And he said if the Russians' missiles attack us, We'll do our best to protect ourselves. And if if they attack us with Iranian drones and our people will have to go to bomb shelters on Christmas Eve, Ukrainians will still sit down at the holiday table
2: and cheer cheer up each other. I mean, rousing speeches. I wonder who is he targeting that speech to? Because if you know, come January 1st, there will be a change in the House of Congress. And and you know that the Republican-dominated House of Congress, I think, has been more sceptical. They're not going to give a blank check uh, for this (laughs) Russian... Ukraine war. They want to see some, uh, perhaps, some scrutiny and return on investment. And that's why I think, in the way uh, President Zelensky uh, framed his speech, is that, you know, this support from the US must be viewed as an investment and not a charity. That is, a, I think, I think he was not speaking to President Biden or to the Democrats. He was speaking to the Republicans, to the broader Americans, because they're asking, what does it have? What does it mean for us, right? We've had so many discussions about the US, I think, being perhaps intervening, interfering into other people's issues. And I think President Zelensky is saying, no, we want you to be involved. We want you to get participant and your support is required.
1: If you're interested um, to learn more about uh, President Zelensky's uh, speech writing, I guess, intent and motivations, mm. The Economist has an interesting podcast out this week. I think they interviewed uh, Z- uh, President Zelensky in Kiev recently and they spoke about just how he views words and, and how he's targeting his uh, addresses and speeches To It's a pretty interesting conversation. And I would have to say that um, Zelensky has certainly risen to the occasion that it calls for when your country is um, under attack, I really think that he has managed to unify the country um, in what has been a really difficult time, um, you know,
2: very interesting uh, take to do because, you know, we think about him as a former comedian. That's right. Someone who is, a, who is who is not able to manage gravitas very well. And the fact that he's able to transition, it's very interesting.
1: Well, let's turn our attention to someone who probably didn't rise to the occasion and has, in fact, uh, disappointed a whole industry, and that is a Sam Bankman Freed. Um, we saw the implosion of FTX and, of course, that has culminated this week in his arrest and detention and charges. Um, the recent overnight news is that uh, he has been transferred to US custody um, and he has also been granted bail apparently. He'll be staying with his parents while he waits for the court case to begin. Yes,
2: I think the science of that bail is the one that's a bit eye-watering. $250 million bond was released on
1: Well, at least they're making him pay that, right? Because he really could be a flight risk. He was extradited from the Bahamas. um, And now we'll have to see what happens in his court case. Uh, There have been, uh, I think, a number of charges put against him. Um, But yes, this is one of those uh, stories that's going to be a a hallmark of 2022. I think people will be talking about this. And just how a 30-year-old managed to um, engineer this giant, uh, I don't know, mechanism, framework, and and really... um, End up upending the crypto space.
0: Yeah, I think um, this event has also had a knock-on effect on Binance and, of course, on the industry as a whole. Um, customers pulled more than three billion from Binance in a single day last week, as part of a three-day frenzy that saw so more, more than six billion withdrawn. And this comes on the back of also some uh, audit or accounting firm Mazars that have engaged by Binance to provide proof of reserves report and they halted their work abruptly because of a public misunderstanding of what they were actually providing. So a proof of reserve report is not a full audit but and it gives no information about liabilities. But I know that a lot of industry players have actually uh, sounded the alarm that a collapse of Binance or further Uh, withdrawals from Binance could have severe repercussions on crypto.
2: Well, I think 2022 was a year for crypto investors to forget. Ethereum down 67% year-to-date, Bitcoin down 64%.
1: There you go, 9.45am. We're going to be heading into some messages. And when we come back, we'll take a look at the political recaps of this week and other developments that uh, we should keep in mind. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 9.47am you are listening to WTF on the morning run that's short for what's the focus our weekly recap show i'm shazana Mukhtar with philip c and chong jen sun in the remaining time that we have we're going to look at some of the really big local headlines that have dominated our attention this week and it's there's been no bigger story than the Batangkali landslide um, that occurred on Monday. Um, it's a very tragic event that has so far taken 30 lives um, and really brought into question how regulations on recreational and campsites uh, should, be, should be carried out.
0: Yeah, I think this really brings into question the need to really brace for climate change and really have a clear action plan and how ministries and agencies really need to have better coordination. And of course, it does also bring to light the patchy approvals from authorities and the greed of developers. And I've seen many houses and condos really being built on really precarious slopes as well. So it's really unfortunate that only after a tragedy like this, we have all the inquests and we have all the uh, uh, setting up of... Uh, royal combination Mm. of of inquests and where where really is the policing from the start? Yeah,
2: I mean, this is complicated because as we say, land land is a state issue. And so we had a conversation with Nick Nazmi, Nick Ahmad, he's Malaysia's New Environment Resources and Climate Change Minister. And the conversation was, I think they were trying to gather more reports from all the relevant agencies and cabinet, I think, meeting on Wednesday to decide what are the actions. We are all waiting to see what will be the actions taken right at the federal and state level to ensure we avoid these land starts to take place again?
1: That's right. Uh, a lot of um, it's really unfortunate that it takes a tragedy like this, as you said, Jensen, for attention to be focused on this kind of coordination. Um, and we really hope that uh, you know the government does put that mechanism in place for much better, um, uh, you know, coordination between all the different ministries and whatever areas that they oversee in this. But space. I do
2: empathize those who are skeptical who say that the government won't do anything because this is not the first incident we've had. We've had many landslides before. I mean, we talked about Bukia and Tarabangsa, You know. This is not new. And so I think the frustration is really whether there will be action taken.
1: And I guess the issue of... These recreational areas is a lot more grey as well and less attention given. I mean, previous landslides that um, kind of grabbed headlines happened in urban areas. It was very clearly urban development. Here, it's happening out in, in a you know not so rural, not so urban area. Yeah. Um. In a place where you yeah where you're not really thinking of the people around it. Um. So I'm wondering I'm, I'm wondering what can what's going to be done on that front. Whether there will be more oversight into these recreational spaces. Um. Which I think based on what happened is definitely needed. Uh, in other news, uh, besides that, uh, the big story of the week was, of course, the Parliament convening for two days. It's the first time Parliament has convened under the uh, un- under this new government, and there were a number of. Pretty number of key decisions made. Uh, We have appointed a new Speaker of the House. We've got Datuk Sri Johari Abdul as the new Speaker and with uh, the two deputies, uh, one from Barisan National, one from Pakatan Harapan. Uh, Most crucially for me was the uh, confidence vote uh, that Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim said that he was going to have after he was declared as the Prime Minister. Um, And that... uh, raised a lot of questions or a lot of debate on its own? I found this
2: parliament session very interesting because it was the first time, I think, a prime minister quoting Shakespeare. Uh, he quoted, I think, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I think a classic jab at the opposition leader.
1: Indeed. Was he saying this in English? I think so. I'm not sure. was this translated <laughs> into Bassemlayu? And
2: he apparently followed it with a quote from the Quran. But this is where he was trying to push for some decorum in 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 Parliament, but what I think quite sad was that the immediate two three days later it kind of descended into name calling again, very t- relatively fast.
1: I mean, I, I suppose it's uh, bad habits are going to be hard to break. Uh, Parliament is known for its uh, raucous, rowdy nature, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think uh, at, you know the more important policy measures of the focus. I guess that will abate in time, perhaps. Um, if we turn back to that motion of confidence, I think um, a lot of us were maybe expecting to see um, more concrete numbers come out of it. But what came out was a voice vote instead. And for voice votes, there are no specific numbers attached to it. Um, And so you can see how um, opposition uh, leaders have also tried to kind of spin that into their favour as well. So I'm wondering whether... I mean, it's a ver- it's a valid confidence vote. I guess now the question, or the as we look back, you know, was this the best strategy going forward? Um, because for I, I was
2: recalling and I was just watching it quite closely on the day itself. It went through relatively fast. Yeah, <laughs> when the new speaker was the elected.
1: debate was very long though. The debate before yes. the vote took quite a couple of hours, a lot of, a lot of but different But the actual views. vote
2: itself was like passed like oh, just a yay, nay and a bit of a thought and then murmurings when they said no and then it ended up very fast already.
1: And then uh, the opposition did say that um, they abstained from the vote, so they did not want to partake in the vote, which is why they did not call for a block vote. So just um, some, I guess, uh, definition definition of terms. A block vote is when um, you've got a certain number of MPs calling for uh, individual votes to be counted um, and that usually happens when um, I I suppose a side wants to object to a motion of some sort, uh, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. And in any case, neither side called for a block vote in this regard. Yeah, I
0: think what was quite interesting was the MPs from Barisa National, who was who had so vehemently said they would rather resign than to back Anwar, actually voted for the new speaker, Johari Abdul Um, I think he won by uh, 147 votes versus 74 votes. So the missing vote came from the MP of MUCA, from GPS, who was not able to attend parliament on time, which means uh, MPs such as Ismail Sabri and and Tatus isha actually voted for Anwar's choice of speaker.
1: Yeah, I I think it was a pretty um, resounding vote in that sense. Yes, it
2: was. And I think what's very interesting is you also hear sounds of like even former Prime Minister Ismail Sabri, you know, kind of showing his gratitude and happiness that and that Sri has continued some of his uh, campaigns and works going through. So, and also we had conversations about ECRL still going on. You're really seeing some elements of the BN signature policies and governments still continuing under ph right so really it's not entirely discarding everything you just disagree for the sake of disagreeing
1: let's hope that continues to be the case and that um, you know good policy comes from um, meaty meaningful discussions between all the parties involved all right we have a little bit of time left i'm going to ask both of you gentlemen um, to mention maybe one more story of the week that uh, has you know that you can't Stop thinking about it.
2: Well, Christmas is a time when we start receiving gifts and I've, I struck again by Prime Minister Anwar calling for governments to be thrifty and a fewer grand celebrations and to end the VIP batik gifting culture. I found this very interesting because I never knew that batik gifting was part of a culture, especially for VIPs, in view that our former Prime Ministers actually preferred Burberry shirts. So I, was, <laughs> I actually found this very interesting that it's really batik shirt gifting part of the culture now.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I've I left the civil service quite some years ago, so I don't know whether uh, it remains to be the culture. Gift giving is always the culture, right? There's always yes. a need for some kind of token gift, and um, perhaps bate garments are one of those chosen gifts. Um, but and I your think
2: time and effort should be the gift of the season, <laughs> isn't it, Shah?
1: I think that's what the prime minister is hoping for as well. That uh, you know, maybe these expenditures, especially since the government's trying to keep its costs low, right? Um, but in any case, Jensen, you very quickly story you can't let go of this week i can't let
0: go of wow I'm just looking forward to the weekend. and okay. <laughs> you, you want, to let, you want to let
1: go of the news <laughs> entirely. 2022
0: was
2: forgettable for Jensen.
0: <laughs> Especially for the equity market. Yeah. Indeed, so. indeed,
1: indeed. All right. Well, it is 9.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 10 a.m. News Bulletin. That's all the time we have for WTF. What's the focus from us here on the Morning Run? Have a wonderful holiday weekend. Merry Christmas. Uh, we will catch you next week when we're back. Uh, stay tuned